Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we take a break from our current series and bring you a special message by our pastor of student ministries, Dave Cox, and it's entitled, Passing Life's Greatest Tests. Well, good evening. How are you guys doing tonight? Well, uh, we're, tonight we're taking a break in our Corinthian series. We're going to do a message that's called Passing Life's Greatest Tests. That means greatest tests. Passing Life's Greatest Tests. Um, how many of you here love tests? Liars. You liars. We all hate tests. <laughs> Don't you? Do you remember like the first time you went to the DMV? You're 16. You go to the DMV. Remember that feeling you got in your stomach? Ah. Uh, how many of you still get that feeling when you go to the DMV? Right. Me too. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of test you take. If you uh, went through the bar exam, uh, if you're a student, you had to go through the SAT uh, or an LCAT or you name it, all of those things, we just don't enjoy tests. The only thing we like about tests is when we're done, if we passed. You know, the worst part of a test is you've got to take it again if you don't pass. So when you get older, you're usually not taking written tests. You get to go take a physical. That's not a fun test either, is it? Um, and it doesn't kind of really matter what kind of test it is. It just brings that that sense of, ugh, I just don't like that. But the fact is, life is full of tests. It's full of them. Um, they come in all shapes. They come in all sizes. I'm not talking about the test where you take a pen and you write down answers. I'm just talking about things in life you go through that are going to really um, challenge your character. It's going to really challenge the very foundation of your trust in God. Life is full of those kinds of tests. Because the truth is, a lot of us, we really know what we should do a lot of the times, don't we? Don't always do it. Um, have you guys ever noticed when you get off at uh, Topanga, 118, off Topanga, and you're going to turn right and go south on Topanga? You ever notice that sign, no right turn between 10 and 3? You know why that's there? Yeah, neither do I. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> how many of you have had a chance to kind of go through that sign and meet one of LA's finest? Yeah. Okay, good. Yes. Good. One honest person here. Right. I know a lot of you <laughs> have been through that sign. But sometimes you go through something like that and it kind of goes, okay, I got you know, to shape up in this area. Oh, I got to watch my driving in this area. That's why cops write tickets. Don't you love cops? They're just awesome. Um, they got you know, to do those things. But that's, that's in a sense kind of a minor thing. But life is full of bigger things than that. Um, circumstances in life that are going to get your attention. And so why in the world um, do we, does God even allow us to go through tests? Uh, it, it seems very clear. I'm not going to go into a lot of this right now. But the idea is this, that when we go through certain experiences in life, it shows us a lot about who we are. It shows us how we're going to respond. This isn't for God to figure this out. He knows how we'll respond. It's for us. It's huge, huge learning curves for us. Um, sometimes we need to be refocused. Sometimes we need to be strengthened in our faith and our trust. Sometimes we just need to learn a very new facet of who God is. And that will only come through experience. It's fascinating. Fascinating as you study it in the Bible. Today we're going to look at three tests that we go through. This isn't all the tests that we go through, but I think these are probably three of the greatest tests that we go through. And the Bible paints an amazing picture of what, what these tests are. And I just will be honest, there's a good chance many of you are in one of these tests tonight. You're just in a phase of life that you're in one of these. So I hope that this really encourages you tonight as we go through this. We're going to be taking a look at an Old Testament story. We've been doing a lot of New Testament in here, so I wanted tonight to take a break, 
Go back to the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Some of the most freshest times for me personally have been and things God has shown me in that. So we're going to jump into that tonight and take a look because the lessons that are in there are absolutely timeless. So if you have your outline, take that out and uh, we'll jump right in. Tests that we go through. Here's the first one. If you're looking at your outline, number one is this. The stress test. How do I respond to problems? All right, anybody relate already? Uh, Anybody in here have stress? Uh, Anybody in this room have a problem? A predicament? Something that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. That's a stress test. We all have them. You ever wondered this? You know, if God is so powerful, if God is so powerful and he's so loving, why doesn't he just remove some of these things? Why doesn't he do that? Well, two quick reasons. You know, number one, you know, who creates most of our problems? Well, yeah, we do. So if God were to eliminate the problem, who would he have to eliminate? Yeah, so let's not go there. Uh, number two, you know, the other one is he wants you to learn to trust him more. There's a great psalm. I put it in your outline. It's Psalm 50, verse 15. It says this, I want you to trust me. Underline trust me. I want you to trust me. And he tells you when? In your times of trouble. So I can rescue you. And you can give me glory. That's a great scripture from the Living Bible. Now, I don't know what shape your predicament might be in. I don't know what shape your problem may be tonight. And it doesn't really matter. Uh, You could be a parent. Your kids are out of the house. Um, You know they've taken a wrong turn. You know that if you step in to say something, it could probably make it a lot worse. You also know that if you choose not to say something, it feels like you're doing so much less than you should if you're a parent. And you're in a catch-22. Feels like a problem, a predicament. Yours could be in business or work. It seems like there's no good solution because either way is a bad way. It's a problem. You see, we could paint it in almost any category. So whatever yours is tonight, maybe one's already come to mind. You think about that. Thomas Paine gave a great quote, referred to a predicament as this. Those times that try men's souls. Can you relate to that? Um, are the wrinkles in your face getting deeper in this season of life? Hair getting a little more gray or just falling out. Who knows? But it does things to us even physically when we go through these problems, go through these things. Well, we're going to take a look at a problem uh, right now. As we take a look at this stress test, this is by far the worst problem uh, that the nation of Israel ever went through, their worst predicament that they were ever in. Um, Probably the most terrifying Uh, the most stretching, the most challenging. Um, And let me give you some quick background before we turn our Bibles there. The Israelites had been living in Egypt. And I want you to catch this piece. Their entire lives, that's all they knew, was this land of Egypt. They're now in bondage. They'd been there for hundreds of years. So this generation, that's all that they knew. And it became a place of bondage. So God was providing them a way out. But as he's going to provide them a way out, he realized that all that they knew was Egyptian. They thought Egyptian. A lot of times they would act Egyptian. Their, their very culture became like the culture that they lived in. And a lot of that culture was absolutely countercultural to God and his purposes. So there was a lot more than getting them out of Egypt. God wanted to get Egypt out of them as he got them out. And the only way to do that was to put them in a predicament to, tar- to start teaching them some brand new lessons. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of Exodus. 
the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and I want you to turn to chapter 13. I'm going to just skip around on this story. A lot of us are familiar with this story, but I want to highlight some things that are going to relate to everything that we're talking about tonight. Exodus 13. Let me point something out before we start reading. Do you know that the Bible clearly says that he put them in this test? Do you realize that? God put them in this situation. Exodus 13 tells us, verse 18. Read this little section. It just says, So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Just stop right there. You underline that little thing, God led. Who led these people? The Lord led them, obviously, to this place. You know, the predicament wasn't an accident. This was not some mistake that they ended up here. Moses didn't get off track. God put him here. Now, it doesn't say he just put him there. It says that the Lord actually went before him. Verse 21, look at that. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Isn't that amazing? They never had to wonder if they were going the right way. There was a literal presence. There's a literal cloud in front of them. When it moved, you moved. Nothing to wonder about. Oh, hey, we're moving. Uh, It's going right. We're going right. Stop, stop. It's stopping. All right. Set up camp. We're stopping here. Well, backwards. We're going back, going back. Hey, I don't know. Just follow the cloud. I don't know. Follow the cloud. Who knows? That thing went everywhere and they had to follow it. At night, God made it absolutely clear too. He illuminated it. So at night, you had a supernatural presence of God. You always knew the presence of God was with you. Wouldn't, don't you wish that we could have that right now? I like to see things, you know. Uh, it's nice to know for sure. That would help make life so much easier, it seems, wouldn't it? I don't know where I'm supposed to work. I'll follow the cloud. Great. Uh, man, this girl that I'm dating, is it her? Oh, it hovers six inches over her head. All right, this is it. Perfect. That made that one a lot easier. I don't care where it is. We would love that because it it seems to make life so much easier. But it really, the point of that is not this in this part of the story. The point is this, that God led him. He was the one directing him where to go. He was the one setting him here, and he took him to the Red Sea. And why did he do it? Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, okay, stop. Why is he talking to Moses? Remember that God had been preparing Moses for the past 40 years. About 40 years old, he takes him out of Egypt. For 40 years, he's been in deserts learning one thing. Uh, When God says move, you don't question it. Okay? So Moses is a great leader. He's had 40 years of honing. Then it goes on. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haroth, near Migdal, and the sea. They're doing camp by the sea directly opposite of Baal-Zephon. And Pharaoh's going to think the Israelites are wandering around in the land of confusion. And around the land in confusion. Hemmed in by the desert. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And and he'll pursue them. But I'll gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army. And the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. So the Israelites did this. What this is saying, the Israelites lived in this place in Egypt called the land of Goshen. 
And it was specifically this little place called Ramses. So that's where they were at. So God sets them out, and they'd go, they traveled south, and the land was called Etham. And they camped there. Now, when God shows up and he speaks, he says, listen, you're on the move. But when he tells them to go somewhere, it says, Baal's a fun. That means nothing to us. But let me just say it means this. It means go backwards. You're going back the way you just came. And the place that he's leading them is a geographical cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. Literally. To the north, there were these mighty enemy fortresses. Huge stone structures. You're going nowhere through that. To the south, uh, this massive, expansive desert. You're going to take all these people out into that desert and being threatened by the Egyptian army coming after you. There's nowhere to hide. Not all on horses. It's a death trap. Can't go that way. Well, you can't go west. You just came from west. That's Egypt. You're not going back there. So can you go east? Well, great. There's an ocean right there. It's a cul-de-sac. It's a bad day right there. And that's where God specifically puts them. And he knew what Pharaoh would think. Pharaoh would realize they're trapped. So this is where it goes in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about him and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go. We've lost their services. (laughs) They got a lot of free work done, and they're missing that already. Verse 6. So he set his his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now, for once, Israel is doing exactly as they're told. They're following the Lord. Verse 9, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites, and they overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihiharoth, opposite of Baal Zephon. If you're camped there, and this just happened, it would literally sound like thunder. As thousands of horses are coming in. You'd see the dust cloud. You'd feel the ground. You know how scary that would... Re- and they're coming for a massacre. It's going to be a massacre. How'd they handle this? Probably like we would have handled it. Let's read on. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. Well, I can understand that, can't you? That'd be a little scary. Uh, Verse 11, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What are you thinking? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. They're irritated. First out, they freak out, then they've got to blame somebody. Isn't that what we usually do when a predicament happens? We freak out, then we've got to look to blame somebody for this mess that we're in, right? And it's definitely not us. So they react. Their reaction is so human, we react just the same way because predicaments have a way of unraveling us from the inside out. They want to blame someone. Easiest person to blame is the leader. They think it's Moses' fault. But we all know that God led them to that very spot. Look how Moses responds in verse 13. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You're going to see the deliverance of the Lord that he'll bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. That's code for, don't worry, the Lord's taking care of this. Uh, 
Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's hard when an enemy army is running straight towards you. I think I just want to start swimming. I don't know. Uh, I can hold my breath for a while. I can start going, you know. But the Lord says, don't even do that. Just stand still right now. Um, it's very interesting. Um, God does four mighty things here. I'm not going to read it all. I'll just summarize this. Uh, he, the first thing he says, Moses, I want you to go forward towards the ocean. Start the march. Move. Another thing, and he said that in verse 15. Verse 19, if you read on a little farther, it says that cloud that went before him moved from the front of the people and it moved behind them. Fascinating. It blocks the view of the Egyptians and it blocks the view for the Israelites so they don't have to look at their problem that's on their back porch, you know? It's a very gracious thing to do. Uh, this is where the God opens a path to the sea. Literally dries the ground so they could walk. And the fourth thing he does, he confuses the Egyptian army. They go pursuing, and you know the story. The water comes in. The army is decimated. And how much did the Israelites have to fight? Not even lift a finger. They were told to stand still and then walk. That was their job. And God took care of the rest. I love this story. You know, don't ever be tempted to think that God needs you to help him out. He doesn't need you to help him out. He needs us just to obey what he puts in front of us. He'll figure it out. But do you know how hard it is to obey when your life is unraveling? You want to try and take control of it? It's very, it's, we all know how tempting that is. Verse 31. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses' his servant. Do you know what's fascinating? Uh, historians and archaeologists have realized something. Um, even the skeptical archaeologists, they, they had these discoveries through these obelisks and other things that the Egyptians did not even go back to that place for 17 years. They were so terrified by what happened. They knew they had encountered the Lord. In fact, they didn't even try to regain their control over Syria for 22 years. It left such a mark when God showed up like that. It was fascinating. So, you know, you look at this. What was God beginning to teach him? Aren't these lessons basic? We can all start listing off several lessons they learned. They needed to learn trust. They needed to learn to obey. They needed to learn that God's bigger than that army. There's a great scripture in the Psalms that says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's powerful. Why do we need problems? Why do we need stresses in our life? Because God wants to teach us the very same lessons that even though we may know him here, we don't always know him here. And only circumstances are going to bring things out like that. It's really fascinating. So how do you pass this test? Um, let me just say this. It's so simple. This is not a hard message today. Hard to live out, but not hard to understand and write down. How do you pass the test? You do what's right, and then you trust the Lord to fight for you. You do what's right, and you trust the Lord to fight for you. You know, whatever it is you're walking in, Maybe you're a single adult, and that can be a frustrating. Those can be some hard times, and you want to try and fix this. Just be obedient. Don't sacrifice your standards for purity. You trust the Lord. You be obedient to what he calls you. Um, 
no matter what your situation is, you're, it's going to be pretty clear. At least you might not know all that you should do, but you'll know some clear next steps. Just be obedient to the Lord and trust him to take care of that. Um, when God's going to be doing things to us, he's going to be breaking our own habits, our own ways of thinking. And sometimes that takes time. That means our predicaments don't end quickly sometimes. The quicker they'll end probably is the quicker we submit, walk in obedience, and God honors those who trust him to take care of the problem. So the quicker we can stop wiggling around and trying to make it happen, God's more than likely going to be moving past it because those are hard lessons to get for us. I love one, one pastor said it like this, coming to the Red Sea is just as much a part of his plan as crossing the Red Sea. That's true in all of our lives. So that's the first test. The first test is called the what? Stress test. Are you guys with me tonight? What's the first test called? Stress test. How do you pass that test? You do what's right and you trust the Lord to fight for you. The second test is this. We call this the priority test. What will be first in my life? The priority test. What's first in my life? Um, you know, may, when you go through a stress test, one thing that's pretty easy to do, people start to pray. <clears throat> what did the Egyptians do? I mean, the Israelites do? Time to pray. We get that. It's not hard to, someone doesn't have to tell you to do that usually when you're stressing out and you've got a big problem in front of you. You'll pray. You know, if you're a believer, you're probably going to say, okay, okay, you got my attention. I'm praying, okay? What's harder is when that test seems like it's passed, when life starts to settle down, when life feels good again. This is the test that's hard to pass. It's the priority test. What will be first in my life? Will the Lord still be number one? I want you to skip ahead to chapter 19 in the book of Exodus, and let's take a look here. Three months have passed. Um, amazing miracle happened three months ago. Chapter 19, verse 1. They're, let me just tell you this. They're at the shadow of Mount Sinai. This is the place that God begins to really help refocus them. And he wants them to get this priority. He wants them to get it. Verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Let's pause for a second. You know, most of us probably won't ever go to Sinai. This place is a majestic place. It's granite peaks shooting up from the desert floor. It's majestic. At night, it'd be like a silhouette against a, like a black silhouette against just a dark, deep purple and blue sky. Silent. Awe-inspiring. Two million people camped out right there in the shadow of these peaks that's, that reach 8,000 feet high. There's something like that, too. It just makes you wonder. I mean, you start thinking, ooh, I'm a little bit smaller than I thought I was. Not long ago, I was in the King's Canyon up in the Sequoia National Forest. I went to the bottom of that canyon, my wife and I. And those are some of the highest peaks in the nation. Just awe-inspiring. We've all been in places like that. can take your breath away. And this is the place where God says, just stop. It's time to refocus. This is where he goes. The key thing here is they didn't just, when, when God was going to begin to teach them these ways of coming before him and working, the people, the believers, did not just come casually into God's presence. 
I want you to just pay attention to how much respect and reverence that God demanded as they did this. Verse, chapter 19, verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully, and if you keep my covenant, then out of the nations you'll be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. Pause. Uh, real quick, this, um, we're going to see here how, how God is, we're going to go on here in a second, but God doesn't want him to start coming half-heartedly. You're going to see how he kind of lays this out. But there's also a big misconception in the story. We know that Moses goes to Mount Sinai and, you know, he gets Ten Commandments. He does all these great things. You've seen the movie. Um, he gets those, um, and we think he goes up there once. No, no. If you read closely in, the, in, the, in Exodus, he doesn't go up there one time. Moses is going up and down this mountain several times. Four to seven times, clearly, going up and down that mountain. Um, this is the first time he goes up, and the only thing God says, listen, you ask those people if they're willing to obey everything I'm about to tell them, and they will be my covenant people, a representative to the entire world. So um, he goes and he tells them, and he says, hey, are you willing to obey? And if you read in, read in there, they respond, we will do everything the Lord has said. Um, then he tells Moses he's going to speak to him in the cloud, on the mountain. And it's going to be in such a way that the people are going to be able to hear it. Um, they're going to know God is speaking to Moses. Now, why does God want them to know that? Because God wants them to clearly know that he is communicating to his people. God's doing something amazing and speaking directly to Moses for the people. It's huge. He wants all the people to know that he does communicate to his people. And he wants his people to learn to listen. Then he told them to clean their garments because it's going to reflect clean hearts. God put a boundary around the mountain. When Moses is going up there, he says, don't even come near that mountain. If you touch the mountain, you will die. He's making some strict boundaries here. Um, there's a sense that God wants them to understand that obedience is a key thing in relationship with God. Don't just be casual. Don't come and just play around the base of the mountain when he says don't go there. He's, learned, he's teaching them two key things. God is reaching out. But there's also a God who's absolutely holy and he's making a way for him. So pay attention. Two reasons why, you know, this needs to be our top priority. Our number one priority. And we'll see it in the book of Exodus. I'll just tell you this. This is in your outline, but you could write it down. Two reasons why it should be our priority. The first one is this, is that God is the almighty. He's almighty. Um, I think one of the things that I start feeling frustrated is sometimes I feel like we are very casual, too casual in our relationship with God. He's just our buddy. He is our pal. Well, no. We do have intimate uh, um, titles for God, like Abba, Father. Definite intimacy. There's a place he has called us our friend. But there's also a sense where God is absolutely almighty. And we don't come just, you know, half-hearted into his presence. We prepare ourselves when we go before the Lord. Just like he tells them to do this in this whole thing. Otherwise, we really cheapen the absolute splendor and majesty of God. It almost becomes a mockery. So that's just something for us all. We remember that he is holy. He is the one that's exalted. Do you know that um, when God tells us to move, there are no multiple choice answers. There's only one answer. When God showed up to 
to uh, Joshua on the uh, banks of the Jordan. Do you realize that Joshua immediately fell? Ezekiel had no words to describe the majesty of God. So even for us today, there's a sense just I, I just there's a sense of reverence that's in this passage. I don't know how to communicate it real well, but just catch it as we start looking at it. Now I want you to look and see how he starts showing his power to Moses and the Israelites. Chapter 19, verse 18. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Do you understand? These huge peaks, cloud, fire, this is a big deal. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of trumpets grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of the Lord answered him. Uh, I I want you to catch something. This is Moses' quiet time. You know, he goes to the mountain to spend time with the Lord. This is what he's getting. You know what it's like when an earthquake comes? You know that feeling you get, like right when you feel it's starting to rumble? It's like you're unsettled. Is this going to go big? Not going to go big, especially if you're around here in 94 when we had the big earthquake that hit. Now, isn't that terrifying? You know, some earthquakes are kind of gradual. They start to build. Others are like, it's like a train hitting your house, and that's the instant wake-up call you get. It's like, that's it. And God, like, could you imagine for Moses? It's shaking. The mountain begins to shake. We're going to read in a second. There's literally uh, lightning and thunder. God is making his majesty known. He's God Almighty. Why is he our first priority? Because there is no other. There is one God, and he is Almighty, and he makes it so clear. And this is where it says, in verse 18 and verse 19 in chapter 20, it says, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance, and they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we'll listen, but don't have us speak to have God speak to us or we're going to die. They were terrified. Do you know that Hebrews 12, 21 gives us an insight to what Moses was feeling? It says this, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. You know, relationship with God began with an utter sense of the majesty of God. Not just in being freed from Egypt, but in the sense that this is God Almighty. And we worship the same God today. Um, it's just for us just to pause and just really remember how big God is. You know, the, the uh, Summer Olympics, there was a, a camera shot that kind of helps paint a little bit of a picture. Um, opening ceremonies, the crowd is going crazy. There's fireworks, all these things going just crazy. Um, and the camera just begins panning out and you capture the entire Colosseum. It's erupting. Because people aren't seeing just that much energy. The fireworks, the display. There's something that they're just beginning to applaud. They're clapping, they're cheering. And it seems so amazing. Then that camera does something else. It begins panning out farther and farther and farther. And all of a sudden, that looks like just a little dot. So small. It's one of those things that understand that we can get so excited about the things that we see. Uh a stadium full of people and the fireworks and amazing shows. But God says, there's nothing compared to what I've got. Just remember that. Every morning he puts on a minor display when the sun will rise 300,000 times bigger than the earth alone, 93 million miles away. The very center of the sun is 10 million degrees centigrade. 
the outer, the coolest parts of the sun, over a million degrees centigrade. Our galaxy that we sit in alone, if you could go 186,000 miles every second, it will take you 100,000 years to cross it. God is almighty. And he's trying to imprint that on his people. That's why we fear the Lord and there's nothing else to fear. You get that? Priority one. That's it. Um, Exodus twenty twenty. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. A healthy fear of God reminds us of our place and the importance. And now he says, after you've got a picture of how big I am, remember this part. The second reason why this is such a big priority, God's first priority, is he wants to be with you. Do you realize that, what, it, you know, Moses didn't make the first step. Who came down? God came down. And that's a story through the whole Bible. Exodus nineteen twenty. the Lord came down. NIV describes it as the Lord descended on the top of the Mount Sinai, and he called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses climbed it. God chose to draw near. In the Garden of Eden, who chose to draw near? God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. The moment they sinned, God was making a way out. Now at the base of this mountain, God's revealing how to even walk with him. For the first time, they will now have written word of God. And he himself is writing it on this mountaintop. There's a period of 40 days and 40 nights that Moses is up there. And God is giving these instructions. Word for word. Because God is going through ultimate extremes to reach out to his people that he loves so much. And that's a story we always trace all the way up to Jesus. When the majesty of God that we just described took the form of a man and he came down in absolute humility. Walked with a people who didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But God always goes through ultimate extreme to know that he's reaching down to his people. Why would we want this to be our first priority? Because God is almighty. And he's inviting us to be his friend. That's why. So when life feels really good. And things are going really great. Remember that we sit under the hand of the almighty. And that no matter what. And it's not we just run to God when there's a problem. That's not how this works. We walk with God. Because it's priority one. You're going to see the extremes God goes through. I won't read it to you. You can read on your own. Chapter 25 to 28. You'll fall asleep probably on your own if you've read this before. Like, why is all this in here? Well, God put it in here. He's describing a tabernacle. It's another way of saying he wants to be with his people, and he provided this. And uh, how do you know, here's your question, if God is really first in your life? I'll just ask you three very brief questions, and it's your quick assessment. How are you doing on this category? Three questions. Number one. What do you think about most? What do you think about most? What, what really consumes your thoughts? That's where your heart's at. Your mind will naturally wander towards whatever is most important to you. I'm not saying that you think about God 24-7, but in relation to whether you're doing business, relationships, I don't care what you're doing, there's a filter that you work it through. Um, second question would be, where does my money go first? 
Matthew 6, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It's, it's such a clear indicator. Third question, how do I spend my time? That reveals your priorities. Now, look, granted, we all have to work. We have other commitments. And there's a handful of hours in a week that we can choose with whatever we want to do with it. And how much of that time are you giving to the Lord? So if I could see your check stubs and your calendar, I could probably give you an indication, or you could do it on your own, or if you looked at mine, you could do the same. Where's my heart? Where's your heart? It's a good check. And don't we all feel a little guilty right now? Because we can all do better in that. Um, Deuteronomy 14.32, the purpose of a tithe is to teach us to put God first in every area of our life. So how do you pass the priority test? This is it. Be as intentional with God as he is with you. Be as intentional with God as he is with you. You got to make space. You got to carve it out. And remember, this is not a chore. You have the honor of sitting at the feet of the Almighty who has invited you to be his friend. And the way that works, it's on his time schedule. It's not yours. That means you can't just rush into his presence and expect a quick answer to your prayer. You know what? He's God. He sets the timetable. He may want you to just sit there for a while. He may want you to just slow down so you can really catch what he's trying to communicate to you. So sometimes five minutes on a calendar won't do it. Sometimes God's going to want you to carve out a little bit more. He's the Almighty. Just make some space when he's calling you to do that. And you'll be so glad that you did. We're designed for it. I'm going to give one more test. We're going to spend a very short amount of time on this one. But it's an important test nonetheless. It's called the people test. How will I respond when others let me down? Um, Anybody relating to that one? Uh, Yeah. God uses people in life to test us. That's a fact. Um, To stretch us. That is a fact. So how do we handle that? You know, careers don't always go the way we'd want. Fact is, marriages don't always go the way we want. Our plans in life don't always go the way we want. And a lot of times, there's this key factor involved in that. People, you know, what's going on? You know, that someone messes up your plans, and that's irritating. Um, Sometimes it's worse than irritating. It is devastating. And your life feels like it's come to a halt. That's a hard thing to deal with. It's a very hard thing to deal with. Um... Here's the thing. Let me just say this off the top. You know, if, if you're coming into a relationship, here's one of the biggest things that God will want to teach us through these things. And this people test is all wrapped up in this. That if we're ever in the mindset that if I could just have this boyfriend or this girlfriend or this spouse or it, we could go down the list or if God would make this relationship right or this relationship better, then I would be a fine person. Things would be settled in my life. Well, no, they wouldn't. Because there's an inherent thing that we're putting our dependency upon people before the Lord. Now, we are designed to be in relationship with people. That's a true thing. So I'm not saying painting a picture where we don't need each other. That's not true at all. But there's such a, this goes back to our last priority, that there's one thing God wants us to realize, is that he alone is the one who can meet a need. So any false structure that we put up, any relationship or anything, he's going to challenge that. So it's a test. So the problem isn't always the people in our life. It's our response to those people or the circumstances. So God's the answer to the insecurity. God's the answer to the discouragement. God's the answer to the sense of 
um, just lack of purpose, or you name it, whatever it is in there, that God is the answer for all those things. So have you ever been let down? Look how Moses was let down. Turn to chapter 32, skip over there, and I'm just going to read a couple verses out of this. Chapter 32. Let me set it up. Moses is getting ready to go up the mountain. He's going to leave someone in charge. God's, and he's, Aaron's going to be in charge. He's the guy. Chapter 30, or 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, well, they gathered around Aaron and, and said, Well, come. I have a great idea here. Let's make some gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. <laughs> okay, just pause here. Can you realize what's going on? It seems so ridiculous when we read this. Uh, you just got to remember their mindset. They're not used to this. They've lived in Egypt. They think Egyptian. They, that's their whole mindset. Egyptians had so many gods. They'd always make a statue of a god. So why in the world would somebody even stop to think this when someone parted the Red Sea there's a cloud, there's this brilliant supernatural light in front of you, there's earthquakes, there's fire, there's a big cloud up there, and you're like, you want to do what? Like make an eye, how does that even cross your mind? Well, it crosses their mind because they've had an entire lifetime of training. And that think that these gods are going to help them worship that God even more. Even though it's so wrong. It's absolutely contrary to anything God would want. That's what's going through their minds. And they're like, I don't know what happened to this guy. It's been like 40 days. Look at all that lightning. You know he's got to be struck. You know, that guy's laying up there dead somewhere. He did something wrong. So they're like, we'll take care of this. Aaron answers them, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the leader speaking. This is the guy that Moses trusted, the one he put in charge. And this is what he said. Aaron answers, well, hey, I have a great idea. Take off all your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. What a stupid idol, isn't it? Like, if you're going to do something, why did you do a little cow, you know? Ridiculous. Um, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. All right, now, it's only by a miracle that God is not just saying, all right, enough is enough. We're starting over with a new group of people. But Deuteronomy, I mean, Book of Exodus even tells us that God is a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness to all generations. He knew this is going to be a process with these people. So he's giving dramatic lessons, even in the midst of dramatic failure. Um, and it's amazing. And even Aaron, who Moses trusted, has let him down. That's embarrassing embarrassing before the lord um, and it's also hurtful isaiah 49 verse 23 i think that's in your outline it says anyone who trusts in me referring to god almighty will not be disappointed that's the lesson do you know why you may be disappointed in life because you put your trust ultimately in someone else anyone who trusts in me will not be disappointed it's a great lesson really a great lesson you know time and again in the book of exodus people make big promises and people let them down um if people let god down do you think people are going to let you down okay um if 
if Jesus was walking on this earth and the world let Jesus down, will the world let us down? Absolutely. If Jesus' disciples let Jesus down, don't you think other believers will let us down? Who are we to think that this isn't going to happen in life? God knows it, and it's a test. It's not just that we have anger for other people. In fact, if you hold on to your bitterness and your anger and lack of forgiveness, it will only stunt you in your faith, and you'll be stuck at this test sometime for years. It's a big test. You know, I'd love to get into it, but I'll just summarize it. It's one of the most fascinating things. Do you realize what God is telling Moses on that mountain? Giving all these instructions for the tabernacle. But there's like three chapters where he talks about Aaron. I want you to exalt Aaron. I want you to make these robes of of scarlet. I want you to grab gold. The most expensive things you can find. He will be our priest. And all these others are going to be priests with him. Representing worship for the people. Three chapters of how to exalt him as he's down there making a stupid calf out of gold. Because God knew, knows. He, there's something about God. He's not like us. He understands the future. He knows Aaron will repent and who Aaron will ultimately be one day. And even though Aaron needs to go through that repenting process, God's already preparing for his future. God has no problem with forgiveness, just like he has no problem with dealing with justice as he needs to. But we do have a problem with that sometimes. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that God can forgive us, let alone that God can forgive other people. And that's a people test. You know, how do you pass the people test? You put your hope only in the Lord. And you walk in forgiveness. Well, anybody relate to those three tests? Stress test? Uh, The priority test? And the people test? Okay, let's stop because I think we all have enough conviction (laughs) tonight. Um, But let's just do this. Would you just put everything down, your Bible, your notes, and... Let's just talk to the Lord tonight. Let's do that together. Let's just bow your heads, close your eyes, and uh, even as we get still in this room, Lord, we come to you because you are the Almighty. There is no other We don't even have words to describe you. In fact, you said that in your word. We don't even have thoughts that absolutely can even picture who you are or what eternity would be like with you. There's so much mystery because our minds cannot even handle it or comprehend it. But we know enough, Lord. We know that today, Lord, we would say that you are worthy. You're worthy. So forgive us for just living our life, sometimes just absent and devoid of you. Acting as if you're not there. So first of all, forgive us for that. Forgive us when we stress out completely, when problems seem so much bigger than us. We remember that you're God Almighty. And Father, even as you taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others who sin against us. We don't want to be making a mockery of the cross by saying we can't forgive someone else in light of what you've done for us. So thank you, Lord, for Jesus tonight. Thank you for him. 
thank you that we have a church like this we can come and learn about you. And as we all walk through a test today, Lord, whatever that form it's taking, would you be so proud by how we respond? People who absolutely trust you and will walk in obedience and whatever that looks like. So strengthen us, Lord. We want you to be proud of this church, proud of everybody that you see in this room. So as we worship now, um, I pray you'd see us like, just like the Israelites, washed and clean their garments. We clean our hearts up before you um, and give you all the honor and praise that you deserve tonight in the most amazing name ever, the name of Jesus Christ. We pray it. Amen. We are going to worship right now, just, just for a song. And as we're going to worship, we're also going to worship, we're going to give to the Lord. So just respond to the Lord as you give and as you sing. If you have your, there's a card that says, let's keep in touch. If you're new to Rocky Peak, you fill that out. We stay in touch with you. Um, we will pray for you on there. So fill that out, prepare for an offering. But most importantly, this is a preparation of our heart and just a response to the word of God that we heard tonight. Go ahead, guys, come forward, and uh, let me just pray for our offering as well. Good. Well, tonight, Lord, uh, we do give because you first gave to us. We love you because you first loved us. And this is a response to that love. So we do it in obedience, Lord. Teach us what it means to put you first in every area of our life and use these gifts for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jay. Well, do you have a problem tonight? Do what's right and trust the Lord to fight for you. Um, Battling your priorities, you be as intentional with God as he was with you and is with you. People, battling a people test, Put your hope only in the Lord and walk in forgiveness. Great to be with you tonight. Good to be in God's word with you. God bless you, and uh, we'll see you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.